I remember in the beginning thinking I understood the menstrual cycle mm. and then I took this mentorship and I was like I don't understand it at all <laughs> to me that was like a oh my god uh, I went through medical school right I could draw the cycle out for you yeah. like I had I did a lot of hormonal extra classes but it was this whole nother level of mm. just like I said looking like things that I almost had a hard time explaining in the beginning, because now it's just like a skill that I'm very fortunate to have, but just looking at labs and like understanding ratios and how all these hormones like interconnect biochemistry became my best friend. Mm -hmm. And like, it just, I think that blew my mind, honestly. Like, I think I, I thought I had an understanding, but I did have an understanding, but it was nothing compared to what I believe that I needed to treat for fertility. Welcome to Gut Check Radio the health and wellness podcast, giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Hello, Gut Check Radio listeners, and welcome back. Once again, it's me, Dr. Nick here. You know how some things in life tend to come in waves, or some people tend to say maybe they come in cycles. <laughs> really, really bad dad joke. I'm reading this book right now called The Fourth Turning. It's a very, very heavy read. It was written back in the 90s, and it just talks about the different phases that sort of humanity goes through. It's a very large topic, and it talks about there's a, a large cyclical nature to a lot of the things humanity goes through. And that led me to think about the menstrual cycle at large. And, you know, it's, it's just so fascinating to me how the menstrual cycle is sort of evolved around this, you know, people say 21 to 35 days or roughly a month. And then I started to wonder, oh, isn't it crazy that a month roughly coincides with the menstrual cycle? And, you know, I started having this thought debate, thought experiment in my head of which came first, but I digress. So the the topic of today's podcast is a fascinating one, and it was fascinating for me to listen to and be a part of. I had the pleasure and fortune of interviewing Dr. Samantha Berguglio. She's a naturopathic doctor in the Scottsdale AZ area. Her clinic is called Walk the Natural Path, which I think is just one of the coolest names and one of the, just the most fun names to say about someone working at a particular clinic. And this one was fun. I'll, I'll be honest, we geeked out a lot about some of the specifics and really some of the nuances of female hormones. So just as a little bit of primer here, for those of you who might not be familiar, we talked a lot about progesterone lab values. We talked a little bit about estrogen lab values. We talked as well about follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And they're better known, you'll hear us reference them as FSH and L8s, and those are hormones that the brain secretes in order to prepare the body for the menstrual cycle. And we males also make those hormones as well. And then obviously progesterone and estrogen are the main two female sex hormones that are very impactful and are fluctuating throughout the menstrual cycle that cause a lot of the symptom fluctuations that people may feel. And speaking of symptoms, one of the main things we touched on in this episode, is it normal to have symptoms throughout your menstrual cycle. And I was actually very fascinated by this answer. You know, I, as I like to tell all my female patients, I can know what the textbook says about the menstrual cycle, but I will never have personal experience to how it feels to go through. So it was very enlightening for me to go through that. We also talked about 
dietary and lifestyle factors for fertility as Dr. Sam really specializes in fertility, infertility, and overall women's health and female hormones. We also, we, we can't talk about hormones in today's day and age without talking about birth control. We definitely have that conversation. I mentioned we talked about optimal hormone lab values. I talked about some misconceptions around fertility, which was also really fun for me. And all of the resources will be available and all of her social media things will be available in the show notes page. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Sam. How many people do you think you work with that have an element of, we'll call it gut dysfunction going on? Because, you know, obviously they're coming to see you for hormones and fertility specifically, but how often is GI things happening behind the scene? Oh, um, I would probably say 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, shockingly, most people that come to me are actually in pretty good health minus their menstrual cycle, which is very interesting to me because I feel like it is so hand in hand, mm-hmm. but a lot of times I get, I get a ton of unexplained infertility cases and that's, be, and it, it's unexplained and they have a great gut and they have bowel movement every day and they never have abdominal pain. And I usually find it like in the hormone labs and all the stuff that we do, but it's very interesting. Actually, not as many people as I thought would have a gut thing going on because, you know, hormones are so attached to it, but, but then I do have a lot of cases, like sometimes they'll pour in and I'll have like a ton of cases where I'm like, Oh, we just need to treat your SIBO and then you'll be good to go. And that's exactly what happens. Mm, Right. And when you, when you say so much, seeing so much unexplained fertility, is that, when you got out of school, is that what you hoped your practice would become? Yes. When I mm. got out of school, when I first went into school, I was actually very interested in pediatrics. Oh, tell us more about that. <laughs> so I was a very sick child mm. and I was on breathing treatments, like oxygen treatments two to three times a day. I was on a bunch of medications to make sure I didn't go into an asthma attack. And my mom um, fought for me basically and found natural medicine and I got to heal the natural way and my life became totally different. So as I grew up, I was like, I wanna help all of the kids that didn't have a better solution like me at one point. So I had a strong passion for that. And then as I went through school, I loved it, loved pediatrics, but COVID hit and I was in the middle of training and had seen tons of kids already, but my skill set was still not good enough. Like to see children, you have to see so many of them. You have to be able to feel things in such a different way and at such a different pace. Like on adults, they just lay down and you can feel their stomach as much as possible. If you're like, let me make sure everything's going good. Mm -hmm. But on a kiddo, you have to do it really quick because they're, they want to play, they're moving around and you have to be very efficient. And I just was like, my skills are not going to develop the way I want them to or need them to, to be really good at my job. And at the same time, I started attending more hormonal courses already. I was already kind of doing that. And I just started falling in love with it. And then I, the, actually my event in the future, my mentor, um, that I, well, my mentor in the future, excuse me, I met her on like a, she was a guest speaker or something and she did fertility. She specialized in fertility. And I was like, what? This is cool. 
And then I dove in and learned more. And then I took her course and then I eventually went and did her mentorship. And I just kind of fell in love with the medicine. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Fast forward, like later on, my mom tells me her struggles with infertility and my grandma struggled with infertility. I actually have an adopted uncle and an adopted aunt. And there's just so much to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I feel like some part of me was called to help um, people going through this. That's that's powerful. Mm. Yeah, it's do pretty you, cool. Do you remember what <laughs> that your your future mentor at X point in time said that was there one statement she said that just hooked you in? Um, not really, to be yeah. honest. I think it was just she started talking about the medicine and diet and lifestyle. And I already love diet and lifestyle treatment so much. But she was talking about what it could do for people struggling through something where you always think IUI or IVF or these advanced treatments. And I was like, wait, I know this medicine's powerful, but that's so powerful. And I was like, I need to learn more. I want to understand more. And I hadn't really felt that way about a topic if I was being honest. And mm. so to me, that was a huge signal of just like the, the urge to absorb more and understand more about treating fertility the natural way. Mm. And do you remember back to when you were a kid and you had your first experience with natural medicine? Do you, can you pinpoint and remember what it feels like, or is it too far? Like, were you too young to feel, to remember what it actually, the experience was? So I don't remember like everything super clearly, but I do remember some of the treatments. Uh, it was with natural medicine in the sense of like switching up my diet a little bit as a kid, you don't want to be too restrictive, but they were like, I was one of the OG allergic to gluten people. So mm. I've been allergic to it since I was like two. Mm. <laughs> and they knew that, which was mind blowing to me. I'm already like, they were actually, they were pretty awesome to be able to pinpoint that. But I do remember actually having a hard time with it because as a child, someone telling you you can't eat a cracker is kind of brutal. Um, but then I ate the cracker and then had like an asthma attack. So then it was like, oh, okay. Mm. Like, this there's something to this and I don't think though I really appreciated it until I was older um, and in high school where I was playing a bunch of sports and had this life that when my mom told me stories I was like I would have never been able to have the life I had if naturopathic medicine didn't come into my life mm, yeah and to have that emotional connection it's just it's almost like like you said the universe was putting that career path directly in front of you yeah I even fought it for a while I was dead set on going to physical therapy school um, mm. graduate school I was like I want to be a PT I love sports I love athletes I did a bunch of shadowing hours and it was it's a great profession it's amazing uh, but I'm like something doesn't feel right and I kept trying to go in a different direction then I was like I'm gonna be a PA did shadowing through there um, through a bunch of physician assistants and just tried to see like the profession as a whole and every time I was like well, I knew a natural remedy that could be for this or for this. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. What am I thinking? So mm. then I just like, honestly, I sat down one night with my mom and we had a glass of wine together. And I said, mom, I need to go to naturopathic medical school. And her draw, her jaw dropped. She was shocked because we, we had ruled that out like five years before. Mm. And I think she was nervous for me. She believed in it, but she was nervous. She's like, that's a harder route not necessarily with schooling, but to become 
a successful professional yeah. professional and I was yeah. going to be a PT or a PA so a lot easier right yeah more stability yeah 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 so she was nervous um I think after like a week or two of that she was just ecstatic and loves it and now is my ultimate cheerleader for sure <laughs> mm. do you ever look back and imagine if you if you didn't listen to those signals from your body you know if you had gone to the pt or the pa route and figuring out a couple of years in oh no wrong you know i know i have learned to listen to my gut with everything because it's just never led me astray like I still love kids and it's fun. And, you know, my pediatric training was really great, but I am exactly where I'm supposed to be with treating hormonal health and fertility. Mm. And then naturopathic medicine was exactly where I was supposed to be. So listening to that gut has very much paid off for me. Mm, that's beautiful. So I think that's a good opportunity to start double clicking on fertility aspect. And there's, there's so many places to go. Where I want to start is you said it earlier that a lot of health conscious people come to you. And most people probably have a lot of the, the big pillars dialed in when they're wanting to work on fertility and preconception. But do you find any aspects of the, you know, the big rocks of health that these people often under neglect or undervalue? You mean, so health conscious people, if they undervalue some part of actual healthy living? Yeah. Some people, yes. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's more, they just don't really know. Like they've been as educated as possible, but Sometimes there's just a missing piece or they follow someone on Instagram or something, which I can't say anything to that. I mean, I post on Instagram, but they're like, well, this person said X, Y, Z. So it's not necessarily that it's like not important or they don't feel like this healthy aspect of life like is nothing. It's more so like they just don't necessarily understand either how important it is or what is the true like healthy version of that. Mm, I see. Yeah. Do you have any specific examples of like someone you've had to help them unpack something they heard from social media? Yes. Um, I have had someone, so for example, bowel movements are very important, right? Mm -hmm. Bowel movements, having one bowel movement a day, usually that's the average for most people. As long as it feels complete, we're good to go. They had seen that they'd looked that up, but no one really talked about like how to get there. So they were using um, some cathartic laxatives, which are herbal. So in their mind, that's great. That's fine. Smooth, smooth tea. Great. And that's how they were eliminating every single day. And they were like, that's healthy. I'm having a bowel movement every single day, which honestly, like A plus B did equal C, but there was definitely another part of the equation that was missing, which is that shouldn't, that shouldn't be needed. And how do we get to, to where you're having a bowel movement without that extra piece, <laughs> without using the laxative? Mm. That's kind of an extreme example, but that was a recent one that I was like, okay, we want to make sure that you're not doing that. Yeah. It's maybe still, they didn't address the root cause. Like they had covered up the bandaid naturally, still not fully addressing what actually is the, the thumbtack in the bottom of the foot. Exactly. Exactly. Um, another thing, I mean, just referring to supplements in general, I do give them out, especially with fertility patients and sure. clients. So I'm not like hating on them, but a lot of people just start taking supplements and they're like, well, this is supposed to be good for blah, 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 blah. And this is supposed to be good for this. And I'm sometimes definitely narrowing them down or, you know, switching what type of product they are using. And that can just 
be very confusing again with like all the information online nowadays. Mm. Do you find any particular category of supplements that people, they put too much emphasis on and they're like, Hey, I heard, you know, black cohosh, great for estrogen. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, I love how you're using that example. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely. Because a lot of people don't understand what certain herbs do or like their overall modalities. Um, another big one is like Vitex. And that one is used a lot. And people are like, I heard that one's good for your hormones and lengthening your luteal phase, which it can totally be great for that. But like, one, what else is going on in your cycle? Two, like, why is your luteal phase short? We need to figure that out because Vitex is really great for many different reasons, but it may or may not be your reason. And so, yes, that is definitely one where I feel like people are like, I'm just going to take it because I'm struggling with fertility and I need to increase my progesterone levels. And I'm like, there's so much more to that yeah. that we need to uncover and make sure we're treating and addressing. Mm, I see. What would you say the most common root causes of dysregulated progesterone and not enough progesterone that you see? So definitely having an imbalance with estrogen, right? So a lot of times people look at them as separate. I look at them very much together. So ratio is going to be important here, but I, I mean, for the mathematical people out there, I'm not a mathematician, not even close. Like I use my calculator for every simple math problem there is. Uh, so I really just look and after looking at so many hormonal labs, I can get a feel, but basically what I tell people is if your estrogen is within normal range, but on the high range, and then your progesterone is within normal range, but on the low range, that is definitely probably causing an imbalance or an issue there. Mm. So first I like to make sure we're checking that. What I also require for progesterone is a lot higher than most people would say is like good to go. So mm. then I'm also looking at the level and where it's at. So if ovulation is confirmed, that's great. That means you still are getting an, some progesterone on your own. When I say ovulation is confirmed, that's usually around six. I like to see it around like 15 for fertility when we're talking progesterone numbers. That's a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. So first we need to make sure ovulation is confirmed. If we make sure ovulation is confirmed, that means woohoo, we are ovulating, but how do we still fix that luteal phase? Do we need to fix the estrogen to progesterone ratio? Um, what are you eating? So diet and lifestyle is going to be really big to start. Um, even just having like excess sugar, consuming excess alcohol, um, having chemical derived foods or foods with chemicals in them, that could honestly mess up something just very slightly, but enough to like really impact your cycle, even mm. though you weren't really sure that it was because I'm still ovulating. We're good, right? Like we're still ovulating. I still have estrogen. I still have progesterone. But those changes can make a really big difference. Um, obviously, stress is going to be a really big one. I know a lot of people talk about stress um, impacting the luteal phase in like specifically, but it's kind of a weird situation because a lot of time is it chicken or the egg because mm -hmm. I call progesterone the happy hormone. So mm -hmm. if you're, you're feeling extra stress and anxiety, is it because you have low progesterone or did the stress and anxiety cause low progesterone? So as you can see, just from what I was describing, it kind of gets confusing. I try yeah. to make it like as simplistic as possible, yep. <laughs> um, but you can get a little lost in it. And it's mm -hmm. really hard without like the full labs. Cause then I like to look at, it's not just low progesterone and estrogen ratio. Then it's like, where's testosterone at? Where's 
prolactin at. I want to look at your FH to LH ratio. And there's so many different pieces that go into it. That's why I said, I'm like, I try to make a sim some simple explanations, but it can get kind of um, overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> mm, but that's how you can tell, you know, this space so well is that it's hard to really bring it down to one answer. Any question requires so much nuance and to try and unpack it in 15 seconds is hard. And when you were saying progesterone at 15, are you talking about serum blood testing or blood testing? Yes. Mm. Yes. Thank okay. you for correcting yeah. me. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes. So 15. Yeah. Right. Like you get a serum value of six and mm -hmm. people are like, great, you're good. You ovulated, but I like to see it at 15 for a good implantation to occur and to stay. Mm. Um, and then even those just for in general, at least about 10, I like it because like I said, progesterone is the happy hormone. It's anti-anxiety. Yeah. It's what helps make your hair like luscious and like thick. And so I'm like, we want all the progesterone we can get. Right. <laughs> Do you find, here's what I find that a lot of people, when they go to any, some practitioners and they get their hormone values done, they either weren't told that they have to be done at a specific time to really hone in on what they're going after, or they didn't do them fasted and they did them in the afternoon, which I, had, I saw someone's hormone labs the other day, they were done at like 4 PM. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know at all how accurate this is to be. Is that something that you see a lot when people come in? Um, a lot of times when people come in, I do get, they give me tests. It's usually just on the wrong day anyway. Mm. So I don't even really look at the time they got them done. Cause I'm like, mm. when was this taken? And they're like, right. I have no idea. They just told, they gave me the order and told me, told me to go. Yep. So I'm very specific. I'm like day three lab. So third day of the cycle means day three of your period that I like for like estrogen, LH, FSH, and then kind of other things that can just be drawn on that day. Cause I'm like, let's just do a bulk here, but really specific for estrogen, FSH and LH. And then I really like progesterone done seven days after predicted ovulation. So I say predicted because a lot of people don't know when they actually ovulate, but it's good to get at least that range. And then when I look at that, I'm able to tell a lot more about what's going on in their menstrual cycle. than you know, if I took LH or FSH during ovulation, it's a completely different ratio than I want it to be like majority of the time. Mm. And so, you know, that's not going to tell me honestly enough because I'll know that they're ovulating from their progesterone level. I don't need to see a spike in LH because LH can honestly spike really throughout the cycle. Mm, right. So, so if somebody comes in and maybe they don't have specific, or they don't know yet that they have specific fertility or preconception goals, they just have general wellness. Do you have a favorite time during, if they're still menopausal, do you have a favorite time during your, their cycle that you like to see that? Honestly, I just have them do the same time um, mm. because I know that with fertility, I'm like optimizing their cycle as best as possible. Right. And so I'm like, I'll just do that for them too. Like even I almost treat it as like, let's get them to the best that they can be at. Cause you know, it's, everyone is just striving for you know that ultimate cycle but i'm realizing you just said menopause right is that what you mm -hmm. said or was it perimenopause oh oh pre-menopause still yeah my bad okay yeah, should, have, should have worded that wrong okay. yeah 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 <laughs> i was like and i'm answering this question and i'm like slowing like, down whoops, yeah. I, literally was, I was like <laughs> no, you wait were, a minute I you were on the right track you were but... thinking about it correctly i said it wrong Okay. Yes. So I still would do it on the same time, but you know, when someone's perimenopausal, I just come in with a completely different mindset actually of just 
you know, we're getting these done, but you are in perimenopause and this time we get them done, they could be completely different than when we get them done in a month. Like, mm. it's just, it's a time of a lot of change. So I don't even necessarily focus too much on the hormones. I mean, I do because we like, I need to know, like, if their progesterone is super low and they're getting symptoms that, you know, coincides with that. I mean, they're, they're going, they're transitioning though, right? They're going into a different part of life. So mm-hmm. we can do things to make that transition easier, but I'm not necessarily trying to alter hormones as much as support the transition. Mm, I see. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I was like, does that make more sense? I was like, that's why I was like, I'm not answering this question right. No, I think <laughs> what I was trying, and that was my fault. What I was trying to ask is, and you answered it is how women that are still menstruating when they come in, say for just general wellness, what time of the the cycle you prefer, but I, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Totally got on a different tangent. <laughs> no, that, again, my fault. Asked the question wrong, <laughs> but that's still good insight for women that are, again, like you said, perimenopausal or even post at like, Hey, what time, if I'm, do I, if I want to get these labs done, what time should I do it? So I think that's still highly beneficial. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's so cool that the menstrual cycle gives you so much feedback and it gives you so much extra insight compared to males who, A, I'm just going to say this, really suck at pinpointing when things change. <laughs> we're, we're really bad at that. So to add in the menstrual cycle, I'm sure you've seen, just gives you such another window into somebody's overall wellness. Yeah, it's the fifth vital sign, they say, yeah, for mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I love it so much, um, just that saying. And it really does, you know, people come to me and I even have people that their labs do look like normal. I wouldn't classify them as optimal, but they're not feeling good. And I'm like, honestly, even if your values looked optimal, then there's there's still something wrong and there's still something going on because your cycle should not be like this. Like, yes, on the first day of your period or the day before, you might feel a little bit more tired. Like there are big changes happening. Like if you look mm-hmm. at an actual graph of the hormones I show people this sometimes I'm like honestly it's amazing we don't have more ups and downs (laughs) because if you look at how much these hormones fluctuate it's like it's kind of mind-blowing that Mm -hmm. we stay as like like we're not flatlined I know women are not at a flatline but you know you know where I'm trying to get at but if they're feeling like extreme pain or they're just crying for no reason or have extreme irritability or brain fog, then I'm like, that's not normal. Like it's okay to feel some discomfort, maybe a little extra tired than you normally feel like it's okay. But to have extreme levels of that is just not like that is not normal or optimal at all. And that's where it's really nice to be able to make the changes that we can by either looking at labs or just treating based off symptoms if that's Mm. where we need to be yeah and i you know people ask me all the time is it normal for me to have these symptoms during my menstrual cycle and a i say okay i can tell you what the textbook says about it but b i will have no wherewithal as to like how that feels so i think you sort of address it there is like feeling really bad obviously not normal should you feel something yeah so not everyone does I would actually say some people don't. Some people are like, it comes and like, I know it's there because, you know, things are shedding. Ant flow yeah. came to town. Your lining is shedding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but some people barely notice a difference. I will say that. I have met some people, even 
those struggling with unexplained infertility are like, my cycle's great. And so that's always really interesting. But I would say majority of people do do notice a difference, like especially if they start paying attention or if they start tracking. They're like, oh no, there's there's definitely a difference. Like there is some breast tenderness and enlargement, and I do get a little bit more full around my abdomen area and my body doesn't feel like painful, but it definitely feels a little bit more sore than it would normally after this workout or whatever it is for someone. But there are going to be some shifts. Like you said, there's a lining shedding. Like that's pretty intense if you actually think about it, right? That's like, crazy. It, yeah. <laughs> like you build up this lining of tissue that has a whole vascular system, which is also like when you really think about it, like, oh my goodness. Then when it's like not implanted or whatever, you don't, you don't get pregnant it sheds and there needs to be something besides just the hormones dropping and changing that helps that. And sometimes that's contraction of the uterus. Um, sometimes honestly, it's just for cramping for just example, it's honestly, it's like, don't wear a tampon and put a cup or use a pad. And they're like, Oh, it's game changer. I'm like, yeah, cause your wow. uterus is contracting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so cool. But Short, sorry, that was a really long answer to say, yes, it can be normal to feel some differences, but they shouldn't be extreme. And some people actually don't feel them at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I did not realize that some people don't feel nothing. That's crazy. And even the aspect about just like changing out the tampon, it doesn't have to be this whole big ordeal. It's just that simple effect. Yeah, that's wild. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there can be like such simple changes that make a giant difference. Mm. And I, I feel this way. So when I work on a lot of people with bowel movements, and if ever I get like a flare of constipation in the beginning, when I started working with people, I would get so mad at myself and be like, oh man, I helped this with people like mine has to be perfect. How, where's your level with that on yourself? Oh my gosh. I love this question. Um, so I am, I'm the same way, but I also, part of my journey that I left out was that I was on birth control for a really, really long time mm. and I came off it and I mm. did have the transition, the awful transition of like breaking out everywhere and needing to heal my cycle and the whole, whole the whole thing. So I have done that for myself. Mm. Um, right now, I will say it was like amazing. I was like, oh, I'm the cycle, like clean. It's all good. <laughs> like you said, like if you yeah. get... But then I got COVID uh, and I can't pinpoint exactly, mm. but I'm pretty sure that my cycle changed after COVID and it became a lot different than it was originally. Mm. And I'm like, oh no, like, like you said, this is my thing. What do I do? Mm. So it was really cool. I got to, you know, work on myself again and you know, help heal myself. And I will actually say, I probably just gotten back to a place of where I'm like, okay, it's like, it's back again. And mm. that was maybe like three months ago now, but it, yeah, that was hard. Cause I'm like sitting here talking about that. But the point is, is life happens and right. things happen that are out of your control. You know, I mean, you can be more constipated because you, you did, I don't know, you went you were on an airplane and you didn't drink water or whatever. I, yep. I don't know what the case was, but <laughs> yeah, that happens, right? Yep. <laughs> it's like a big one. Yep. <laughs> um, so it, I think the point is to, I try to remind myself that like, it wasn't, I got COVID. Like it's been shown to mess with cycles and I've seen it. I, it's not, I can't confirm causation, but I have seen a lot of correlation mm. with COVID 
COVID the, actually itself and the vaccine impacting people's cycle. So mm-hmm. it's, I was like, that was good for me. And I've been able to help a lot of people with it now. So yeah. And <laughs> with, yeah, that man, that's so much learning tools from that, from COVID specifically, you say COVID enough times, your podcast will get flagged now. Was there a particular <laughs> phase of the cycle that you noticed it was throwing off or was it just different? And so many people. Um, also a great question for me specifically, my luteal phase, Mm. I would say for a lot of people, it was, um, ovulation, honestly. So also kind of going hand in hand with that luteal phase, Mm -hmm. just kind of either stopping ovulation or impacting it that way. But I also have seen it totally reverse and just make a cycle super heavy and long. So, Mm. or like I said, correlation, not causation, Right. but it was the only thing that we could think of between point A and point B of where cycle was good for my patient to cycle not being good. Yeah. Like I always ask the question, well, within that time, they're like, actually the month before I just had gotten COVID and it Mm, was very interesting. mm, Sorry. mm. That was probably the one that set the flag. (laughs) Yeah. Now it has the green logo or the green little thing underneath it. Back when you were on birth control, which were you on everything from patch, IUD, oral, walk us through your journey a little bit. Yeah. So I had done the pill like mm-hmm. in high school where I feel like everyone's given the pill in high school because mm-hmm. whatever reason, obviously yeah. I wasn't seeing a naturopath as avidly as before. <laughs> um, I was, but just not for the cycle issue. I don't, I don't know why, but mm-hmm. so the pill then tried the ring, um, then a copper IUD mm. and then the ring again. <laughs> so uh. I'm like, when I tell people, I'm like, no, I've been through it. I'm like, I can understand like every method almost of birth yeah. control. And, um, and I know how to like heal from it all, but I know personally, I felt crazy on anything hormonal. Like, mm. I don't like to use that word, but I did. I was yeah. like, everything was like pressing the red anger button on me and I don't have an angry personality (laughs) interesting Mm. yeah so for me like not good mentally everything else was fine like actually I will say the moment I went off the pill I dropped 10 pounds in like a week but Mm. so that's interesting (laughs) yeah something happened there yeah I know I wonder what yeah also a lot of water retention and yeah everything but so for me it was mine was more my hormonal experience while I was on the pill was actually really interesting and very emotionally I was just distraught I felt like all the time taking that and I knew it it was kind of weird I was like no I know it's the pill like I need to get off so I finally got off and then you know without too much information you go through the dating pool and you're Mm -hmm. just like young and not Mm -hmm. ready for certain things in life Mm -hmm. and so I tried it again in just different forms. And that's why it, I went through all of them. The mm. copper IUD seemed to be, you know, it's hard. It's hormone free. Like yeah, we're good. I'm good. Yeah. Mm. Little did I know is it causes a ton of inflammation. And if I'm being totally honest, I feel like that caused a lot of other side effects that I was not expecting. Mm. And I honestly don't recommend the copper IUD. Um, if mm-hmm. I recommend any form of birth control, it's actually like the Mirena or Lyletta IUDs mm-hmm. and we can get into why if you want, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I'm unpacking birth control is so fun to talk about, but 
Back to the copper IUD story, do you think it's mostly from the actual excess mineral of copper or from the device itself? I think it's both, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's the the copper is irritating. It literally is an irritant to the uterine lining. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's it's a little bit bigger than the other IUDs and everything. So it depends how big, I guess, your pelvis is. But like that, just having a big thing in your uterus, like I don't know if anyone has seen, but if you look up the actual size of a uterus before a woman has a child, it's not very big. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the copper IUD and like relation to it, you're like, wow, like that thing is inside of my body right <laughs> that's, now. That's like me, pretty... yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely, it's very irritating and it, it works as being an irritant. That's literally how it works. And it also has a physical blockage. Mm, okay. Okay. And when you had your rigmarole through all that, how long, or not even that, I think a lot of people also ask me like, how long should it take to get my cycle back after I get off? And my, again, textbook knowledge is thanks to Jolene Brighton. So I, I know that that, you know, some people get it. I've had people get back immediately. Some people take nine months. So I've just like, what do you see as, Hey, this might be optimal to get it back. First off, love Dr. Jolene Bryan. Right. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, what you said, it is so random. I see some people get off and like next cycle is completely normal. Mm -hmm. And I, those actually baffle me the most. If I'm being totally honest, I'm like, that's amazing. Good for you. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then some people like, I, I worked with a patient who didn't have a cycle for two years after coming wow. out. And I don't necessarily think it was like due to the birth control. Like I said, like causation versus correlation here, but there was an issue, I think before she went on birth control, I know there was an issue. She said she had irregular cycles and part of her cycle being so like intense was why she went on birth control, wasn't addressed, was suppressed, and then it like disappeared. And so it really depends on your case and when you start, why you start, I guess, what form, yeah. how your body responds to it. Birth mm -hmm. control, like ultimately hormones, the hormones get out of your system really quickly. Right. So it's not like anything's like lingering and staying in. It's more so about how your body is going to respond to regulating on its own again. Mm. And sometimes it needs a little extra help. And sometimes it's like, I got this. We're good. <laughs> mm. Do you have go-to labs you or anything extra you'd like to add in? for people trying to come off birth control? Um, for people to try to come off, I usually don't pull much until mm -hmm. they have, like, especially hormonally, until they've had a regular cycle. If mm -hmm. it's been like three months, I'll be like, okay, let's just pull them and see, like, let's just go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be the same as kind of before, like the estrogen, the LH, the progesterone, but on, on a different day, if they've gotten some sort of cycle, if not just, lump it all together testosterone mm. totally and free right obviously thyroid i love looking at um insulin and ferritin as well ferritin can be obviously a good marker for things like anemia but mm. it can also really show inflammation which is mm. important um checking crp a normal cbc a cmp i mean it really depends on the case and like also what they're going through but those are just kind of some of the basics mm -hmm. When I said that, I think I said that right. I hope I did. But if mm -hmm. I didn't, definitely TSH, but like free T4, free T3. And I always pull thyroid antibodies because mm -hmm. nowadays I've seen so many people 
positive with the antibodies, but their thyroid actually looks fine. So it's kind of like, and we can prevent their thyroid from getting worse if we actually address that auto um, immune aspect to it before it even like makes the thyroid. Makes it hypothyroid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think true hypothyroidism is 0.3% of the population, but Hashimoto's is one in five people. So yeah, it's Thankfully, not everybody goes that far, but there is definitely that subset who like, hey, we find this, like we need to unpack what exactly is triggering that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I do like to pull that too, because thyroid is really, really important mm-hmm. um, when it comes to just hormonal regulation in general. Right. Sometimes I also pull a prolactin because if their prolactin's high, that can stop them from having a period. And that's just yeah. like, Oh, we just missed that. Like yeah. <laughs> and high prolactin can be from so many different things, but there are a couple of big things we want to rule out. Yeah. So. Yeah. And th- just for those of you maybe who aren't fully aware, prolactin, LH, FSH are all hormones released by the brain, essentially helping to communicate the hormonal milieu that happens during menstruation. And, you know, on the, on the testosterone front, when I learned that women have more testosterone than estrogen, I was floored. And then I started running it on more people and finding how often it was crazy out of whack. And I'm like, this is oh, crazy. testosterone. Yeah. 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 Testosterone is really important for so many different things in women, yeah. but like a big one that I feel like shocks people is, I mean, cause everyone knows like libido and, you know, energy levels and things like that, but it is huge for egg quality. So not having enough testosterone is actually a really big issue. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure testosterone is looking good. Crisp. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. So we have the Dutch test. And for those of you unfamiliar, the Dutch test is essentially a, a urinary test that is a deeper analysis at your hormone levels. If someone doesn't have a cycle, say they came off the, the pill and it's been three months, they don't have a cycle. Is there still a reason to run that? And then at what time, if we, if they don't know how to have a cycle. At- so I actually have run it on people who have not had a cycle yet. Mm-hmm. And I have found it to be helpful. And mm-hmm. um, you're, I mean, Dutch test is really cool because it looks at your estrogen and your progesterone, but it also looks at all your androgens, not just testosterone, but it looks at you know, alpha and beta pathways of it. It looks at um, your DHEA, your DHEA sulfate. I'm saying a lot of names right now, but for for people, basically those are all like fall under the androgen category and are Mm -hmm. really important to look at when you're assessing hormones. And then it also shows your melatonin and your cortisol levels. So it does show a lot and it could give you a good piece of information when we're talking about estrogen and the pathways of phase one and phase two. And when I say that, that's this, that's just the detoxification of estrogen and then also making sure it goes down like a healthy pathway. And so the Dutch test can actually still tell you a lot and Mm. show you good, give you some good information. Mm. And so sometimes if I'll have people wait a little bit, just because I'm like, not that I don't want them to waste it, but you know, these tests are expensive and they're out of pocket costs. So sometimes I'll have them wait a little bit to see if we can get it you know, exactly at least matched up with their cycle a little bit, but if not, it's better to pull it than I think to not to pull it. Cause you can get, or not pull it or request it or whatever, right. but because you can still learn a lot. Cause I just said so many different things, but all of those things can be looked at and either treated or evaluated. And that can help towards them getting their cycle back. Mm, yeah. It'll lead you down a pathway. Maybe you didn't think was previously present or you thought they were good there. And then see that and you're like, Oh, wow. That's, 
Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I like to wait at least like three months because I'm kind of giving the body like a second to reset. That's mm. why I say about three months. It's yeah. really like, it's let's give it a second to do its thing on its own. And then if it's not like, let's assist it. Mm-hmm. But that's why I usually wait. Um, and then if they, their cycle's still crazy, then we'll be like, okay, let's do it. And it, but a lot of people love the Dutch test because it's so fun. I don't like, you. I'm sure, you know, like going through it with people and teaching mm-hmm. them about their bodies. It's fascinating and you can learn so much. So when people come from it at an angle of that, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like, it's so cool to learn all about it. Yeah. You'll never look at your car speedometer the same way. <laughs> yeah, like the, yeah uh, honestly that's such a good point yeah. the little circles of the measurement yeah yeah yeah, awesome. yeah yeah the readout <laughs> that is is pretty fantastic i want to transition a little bit to talking about the the male's role in fertility because I, I find that it is so neglected the and i find that a lot of women that i've worked with they take so much of the burden for any sort of infertility struggles and the thing i say and correct me if i'm wrong is look Fertility is a two-way street. And if if the male is not actively working on it, then I understand why you feel so much responsibility, but then it, it might not be you that's really contributing to this. So how often do you see that? Yeah, my thing I say, I feel like yours is probably a little bit better, but I say I takes two to tango. It's <laughs> mm, good. That's more fun. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, I go, it takes two to tango. Um like you said if they have an irregular cycle or they know something's going on, like they don't feel healthy, definitely like the female, like should do something to help on that side, but also could be the male. It could be either one of them or both of them together. Uh, like, like you like we've been saying, it's a team effort. So I'm huge about couples actually coming in together. Like that is something that I love and I love to encourage. I treat couples together actually very often. Mm. And even if, so something I find a lot is that they're like, well, their semen analysis was fine. Everything was fine. First off, I'm like, what is fine? What is normal? I actually made like a Instagram post just for people to go look and compare. Like I have a consultation with them. I'm like, go compare your husband's or partner's semen analysis to my Instagram posts that say optimal versus normal. Mm -hmm. And then if like, if it's not, then we can see each other. If it is, you can maybe take a break and not try to push it too much. But I love to give this example because a normal motility, so how the sperm swims, Hmm. um, is around, or excuse me, morphology, sorry, the shape of the sperm. So um, this is, this one's more drastic. It's a little bit more like, ugh. Hmm. (laughs) Is like 4%, right? Hmm. 4%. What I like to see for fertility is 15. Mm. That's a giant difference. Yeah, like, yeah. Giant. Mm-hmm. What normal values tend to be for a lot of males, especially nowadays, are values that are of the average population, not necessarily which are normal for fertility. So like mm-hmm. back in the day, the semen analysis values that we see now would be cons- all considered infertile. Like it's actually mind-blowing mm. you look at like 20 years ago like semen analysis like what they considered infertile would be like super fertile now it wow. just blows my mind mm. so with that being said the male component is very important and I, I never ever tell someone like oh they have a semen analysis that's normal like you're fine 
like never will I say that. I'll be like, check my, my post, go check, find some resource or just come in and I can evaluate it for you. Mm. Um, and then there are things that we can do, things, diet and lifestyle that we can do to improve that semen analysis. And on top of that, we've been talking a lot about labs. We still check men's FSH, LH, total testosterone, free testosterone, the CBC, the insulin. We still check all of those things for men too. It might not be as obvious because they don't have that necessarily their fifth vital sign of that menstrual cycle, but there could be something that's going on under the surface that we don't see. And mm -hmm. it is important to address. Yeah. Of nutrition lifestyle, what category under that do you find they typically need the most support in? I mean, the diet lifestyle for sure on a lot of men. I will say, um, surprisingly, at least to me, and I don't know if that's because I've been naive or living in my own little bubble, but a lot of men use a lot of tobacco. Hmm. Um, that is a huge culprit that I see. So that includes smoking hookah, that includes, you know, chewing like dip, um, mm -hmm. and then obviously cigarettes. Yeah. But cigarettes is actually not super common. It's the dip and the hookah that I've been seeing a lot lately. Interesting. Hmm. And just like yeah. it's creating, which like I the... found interesting too. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. I just found it interesting too. And that's a big lifestyle thing, right? Um, also, unfortunately, a lot of men who have blue collar jobs, it's really hard because they are, they tend to be exposed to more environmental toxins than like someone that's just like sitting at a desk. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's pros and cons to both of that. Cause like the blue collar job person might actually have a higher testosterone because they might be lifting a lot all day or right. whatever. Yeah. And the person sitting at the desk might not have as much movement. So again, that's kind of like, what is the lesser evil? And that's a whole nother conversation, but tobacco has been actually a really big one lately for me, which mm. was surprising. So I've been helping a lot of people quit, um, the nicotine. Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be challenging. It is challenging. It is very hard. And I get to be the bad person a lot. Uh. <laughs> uh, so sometimes I usually start it and I'm like nice. And then I have to kind of like put my foot down and mm. say, like, just kind of give it to them straight about not only is it impacting your semen, analysis or in your semen just in general but it also will impact your future child because it does one epigenetics is a thing and for mm -hmm. people who don't really know what that is really short summary is basically what your parents or grandparents do can impact you mm -hmm. or has impacted you and so if your parent is smoking cigarettes when they're trying to conceive you that sperm has been impacted and that can, that can cause them an issue down the line. Right. Um, for example, a lot of people think endometriosis, I'm just trying to say something that a lot of people know, they right. think a lot of that can be due to epigenetics mm -hmm. of like how our mothers or grandmothers or grandfathers or whatever, how they, how their life style choices impacted how we are today. Mm. When you tell men that, do they, do they wake up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I have to be this, like, I feel like almost a grim reaper like yeah. style. I'm like, I go from like this, I feel like I'm a very cheerly, cheery, like bubbly, loud personality. And I go from like that to like serious. And I feel like that's almost scarier than someone who's serious all the time. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, I hope that shows them how serious it is when you're not like that. And then you are, I hope that that turns on the light bulb. Yeah. And it does. 
Um, and it does for like, honestly, then I even see the partners being like, oh yeah, we're going to be better about everything now. Like mm. sometimes it just, you need to have that serious talk and it does help. It does work. And I just yeah. tell, I tell the the female partner or wife, or I say, just let me be the person that has to say this. Like, you don't have to say <laughs> any of this. This is like, this is what I'm hired for. Like, yeah. let me do this for you. This is my role. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, speaking of saying the hard things, working in fertility or even like focusing on that has to be for you so mentally demanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is my imagination that when people come to you for fertility, it's sort of a binary success, like it happens or it doesn't. So then, and correct me if I'm wrong on that and how you feel, but I imagine that for you, that has to take a toll to some effect. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah. I'm making sure that I completely understand what you're saying. So I was just telling someone the other day with fertility, it's hard because it's a lot about the long game. And at the end of the day, someone can do everything right and it still might not work. Right. Um, but when someone has really bad cramps, I like give them my little things and they like the next cycle, they're like, I didn't have any cramps. And it's great. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah, or I guess how do you sort of set boundaries or manage like not getting too overly invested, but to also be invested enough to be able to, you know, like provide the care. If that question makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that is hard. And I think I'm actually still learning um, that because I do care a lot. Like yeah. every time someone gets a win or gets pregnant, I still tear up or cry mm. <laughs> in the best way. Yeah. And then every time if someone does get really bad news, which honestly for me, like, like knock on wood hasn't happened super often yet mm -hmm. um but it has happened once or twice where it's just like not what we wanted to see or hear and i i do not not in front of them but maybe when i get the results i definitely have a moment to myself of like this is hard like this yeah. is heavy and mm -hmm. part of me i feel like maybe i need to set maybe a little bit more of a boundary with it but then i still want to remain like superhuman with them because when I care that much I put so much time and effort into treatment plans and everything and I feel mm. like if I remove myself too much from that which I feel like you know a lot of physicians end up doing mm -hmm. is that there is something lost in like a treatment plan or you know the care that you give to someone because you are just a little bit more disconnected and there's not like there's nothing invested as much yeah. for you. Right. Yeah. And I, so that having that investment, there's just that fine line. There's the fine line. And I think I need to learn a little bit more about it, but I have amazing patients, I would say like mm. amazing patients. Yeah. And they are like, when I, even when I tell them the bad news and they have their moments and all of that, they're still thanking me. And they're like, you've done so much. We've already feel so much better. Like we're excited for the next step of this journey. Cause I, I don't give them bad news and then say, we're done. It's hopeless. I give them bad news and say, okay, this is what we're going to do now. Mm -hmm. But they're just so amazing. So I think I'm also very lucky because I also mm. have like the most amazing patients. Yeah. And think how much they're going to remember you. Just as you remember your natural medicine doctor as a child, they will remember you for being a part of their their birth journey and birth team and mm. yeah mm. yeah so when you worked for or you meant you you worked with your mentor for a year you said correct yeah yeah mm -hmm. and then so you do that for a year you get out on your own what things we'll go we'll talk about from first from a clinical perspective what things did you 
not expect to happen that did and you were like whoa i didn't didn't think about that but fertility wise or just across the board yeah i don't know whoa didn't think about that but i remember in the beginning thinking i understood the menstrual cycle Mm. and then i took this mentorship and i was like i don't understand it at all (laughs) to me that was like a oh my god Uh, i went through medical school right i could draw the cycle out for you like I had, I did a lot of hormonal extra classes, but it was this whole nother level of Mm -hmm. just, like I said, looking like things that I almost had a hard time explaining in the beginning, because now it's just like a skill that I'm very fortunate to have, but just looking at labs, like understanding ratios and how all these hormones like interconnect biochemistry became my best friend. Mm -hmm. And like, it just, I think that blew my mind, honestly. Like, I think I, I thought I had an understanding, but I did have an understanding, but it was nothing compared to what I believe that I needed to treat for fertility. Cause now mm-hmm. it's like the menstrual cycle. I mean, as you can already tell, probably I could talk days about it. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It's fun to watch someone like talk on their, their passion ha- topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that was my big, whoa. I think another one is that everyone like there's a I feel like it's a rumor out there that you can't treat egg quality and when I saw her take on a case that had like an AMH which for the record AMH does not say anything about fertility by itself doesn't necessarily mean egg quality but it can be some kind of predictor or some kind of marker that we can have to mm. measure what is, what is AMH again anti-mammalian hormone Mm, okay okay Mm. yeah so that's that's basically the hormone that's secreted from the ovaries that can show your ovarian reserve Mm. Mm. so amh is beautiful and i think but i think a lot of people get really attached to it so that's why i said that thing in the beginning people call me very very nervous about their amh so Mm. that's why i wanted to emphasize that but with that being said so we were, I was learning from her and we had this case and their AMH was very, very low, um, like 0.3, which for a normal range at like this, I'm trying to, I don't remember the exact age of the patient mm-hmm. even, if I'm being honest, like, I think I want to say 35, like mid thirties and normal range. I don't have all the ranges memorized for each age, but probably between like two and three. Mm-hmm let's say. So 0.3, that's like terrifying, right? Mm -hmm. Like to someone who thinks AMH means everything. But anyway, we worked through a lot of different things, worked on like eliminating reactive oxygen species, which basically causes inflammation in the body, put simply. And um, a diet and lifestyle factors. And we saw this AMH go up, which we've been told forever that like you can't improve egg quality and AMH your AMH is your AMH, Mm -hmm. which I learned from this case. It was definitely not. So I actually emphasize all the time. And I work with my AM, I work with patients on their AMH very frequently. And when I've seen it go up, I've seen people get pregnant. With that being said, though, I've also seen just working on inflammation and diet and lifestyle factors, AMH may be going up just a little bit, but they'll still get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So like I said, with that being said, you know, causation, correlation, bringing up those words again. But it was really cool though, to just see that like a quality can be addressed. Mm. Like it's not something that is hopeless. And I learned a lot about it. Like a quality is basically genetics plus 
your environment mm-hmm. plus age. Yeah. And you can't really change your age or genetics, but you can change your environment. And if you yeah. can change your environment, I can still change the answer to the solution. So mm-hmm. I kind of lay it out. That's my little math problem. Is good. Yeah. <laughs> what nutritional factors do you find have that biggest impact on AMH, egg quality, things like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a huge component of just the Mediterranean diet across the board. Mm. Um, what that basically is, is we start with our, you know, fruits, veggies, our whole grains. Then we kind of like move to, you know, chicken, eggs, poultry, and then it's kind of beef and like sugary things. That mm. was just, that was going like up a pyramid right, right. for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had one drawn out in my mind, but I forgot to tell people that. <laughs> yeah. Like, so Hey, see this pyramid. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the bottom of the pyramid to the top and that was a super simplistic overview, but I also forgot to say fish in there, but fish is more on like the bottom part. And I tell people to focus on that. I don't like to put people in too many boxes. If they mm-hmm. have an if they have an intolerance to gluten or dairy, they should avoid it. If they feel fine on gluten and dairy, they sh- they sh- they should eat it. Whatever. Like right. I'm way more like sustainable habits. Like if it really bothers you, like don't do it. If we test you for celiacs and obviously you test positive, maybe you shouldn't eat gluten, like mm-hmm. things like that. But so really focusing on the Mediterranean diet, whole foods, I really emphasize dirty dozen and clean 15 mm-hmm. dirty dozen basically are the fruits and vegetables. You should buy organic because they tend to have the most pesticides. If they're not clean 15 are kind of that they're the cleanest of the fruit and vegetables that you can buy non-organic. I actually had a colleague just tell me a really cool trick. Uh, I mean, I like always knew it, but he, it was really good. He emphasized this to me. He's like, well, it's getting really expensive to buy organic. And right now, you know, things are a little bit harder than they've been in the past. And so I'd rather have you eat fruit and vegetables than avoid eating fruit and vegetables because you can't buy them clean. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do that, just you can clean them by putting baking soda and water or vinegar and water and just soaking them for 15 to 20 minutes and then Mm. rinsing them off and then you can eat them and that will help get rid of some of the pesticides. Mm. So that's really, really cool. I was Mm -hmm. so excited to learn that because I'd rather have you eat fruit and vegetables all the way than just be worried about pesticides. Yeah. 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 Mm. And if people are listening out there, if you just go to Environmental Working Group, their website is fantastic for all things clean 15, dirty dozen, what's in your water supply. I mean, that is one of my favorite resources to to give to people. Oh yeah, filtered water is everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure that, that's what I'm saying. We could probably spend hours talking about each subset of like each nutritional and lifestyle thing, but I want to transition and talk about the business aspect for you. So the clinical side, I'm sure is super fun. We could talk about this for hours. But from the business perspective, how has that journey been for you? Has it been something that's been enjoyable? Have you grown to love it? Or is it still this relationship that you're trying to figure out like, what, what is this thing? <laughs> um, so another background thing of me, like about me, I am an entrepreneur at heart. Like I, mm. am, I come from two entrepreneurs. Um, my mother and father both have their own like fitness companies, like way back when, before it was like a thing. So I, it's in me for sure. Like that's part of who I am. And I'm the crazy person that decided to start um, a business in the middle of medical school. So I actually had my own recycled t-shirt company. What? (laughs) Started, yeah. Please tell us more about that. (laughs) 
so I don't know my friend and I we were like we're both have very entrepreneurial spirits and we we're like sitting one day and we we're like we should do this and then we started doing it and then we we're like we should actually really create this so I literally gave myself like a crash course in business during medical school and I want to say I think we came out almost even we maybe invested just a little bit more but it was pretty cool because I was like that was the best business class ever yeah that's, oh man we learned we learned so much from how to you know get an LLC to taxes to yeah. creating your own website I felt like I had so many tools to come out and start my own business so before I even graduated school I actually had a whole business plan written out for my practice mm-hmm because I actually like the business side of things when it comes to developing new ideas, making connections. I actually really like it. It gets my brain going on like a different side. It's my version of my creative side. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I don't, I think I love it. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I'm still learning a lot. Cause like you get, like you said, we're trained so well on one side of things, like the medical side, the clinical side, right? but then it's like the business side too. And I think I definitely overextend myself sometimes. Um, it's really hard to do everything. Like, you know, to be like CFO, CEO, cl- clinician, accountant, like the creative side of things. And I recently finally like reached out and I do have like a virtual assistant, which mm-hmm. helps me with like all mm-hmm. those little things that mm-hmm. take me way longer than it takes her, honestly. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, and that's been a game changer and helped me dive into more of the creative side of the business and actually like really enjoy it more rather than feeling like, oh my God, now I have to do this like task that I actually don't want to do for my business. Yeah. I've heard it's from so many people. When you offload the stuff you really hate to do, your life becomes just that much better. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the recycled t-shirt company? Does it still exist? Sil- Silver Pines. Um, it does not exist. <laughs> we closed it. But I wonder if it might be on Instagram still. I'm so curious. It yeah. probably is. I don't think we deleted that account. Yeah. And to, for those of people who haven't been through like the graduate medical school thing, it is incredibly academically demanding to, to, to start your own LLC in the midst of that is, that is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. Thank you. <laughs> I literally laugh sometimes when I say it, I'm like, what was I thinking? You were just <laughs> like, preparing for your current role. I get, I guess it was pretty funny, um, but it was really fun. And we like, we went through distributors and like, we had this, we had them embroidered, like this whole thing. And we went to a couple of farmers markets. It was it was fun. Man, it was cool. You guys are hustling. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh. think it literally it was really hard. And like we eventually had to end it because we were like, oh you're right. Like this is too much. Like mm-hmm. we can't do all of this and study for finals and right. keep a business going. Like it was insane. Yeah. And so we finally let it go because we were like, yeah, neither one of us are doing things for it like we should be. And, but like I said, it was the best crash course in business I could have ever had. Like I learned so much from that journey. Yeah. Moral of the story. If you want to open up your own practice, start a t-shirt company or something in graduate school. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's a great idea. Yeah. Just start it to see what happens. So Sam, (laughs) this is, this is gut check radio. And so what we've been exploring the whole time is like different gut check moments along your health journey, your business journey, other people's health and wellness journey. So what would you say for you, your most recent gut check moment that comes to mind, whether it be personal, business, 
practice, et cetera? That's a good question. I feel like I've kind of had a lot of those because mm. I am, you know, in a new business still. And mm. I'm also planning a wedding, which is, mm. I feel like <laughs> you get a lot of gut checks along that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think what it all comes down to is that my gut check is like, I get stressed and overwhelmed. So I want to like do really well for my patients and I want to do really well for myself and my business and my partner. But at the end of the day, like a massive, like learning lesson for me. And it always kind of comes down to this is that like, I'm healthy. Like I have my health. And if I don't like, I have the capability to become healthy and invest in it. And I think that's a, that was a huge gut check for me recently. Cause I was mm. like, so stressed about like the business and like planning a wedding and all these things. I'm like, well, I have my health. Like, mm. that's awesome. I'm, I have literally the ability to stress over these things because I feel good and I feel healthy and I'm in this space. And mm. so maybe that's kind of cheesy, but no, that's, that's awesome. a big lesson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to have that re- amount of reflection and gratitude amongst all those things. It, it's easy to have a gratitude practice when life is good, but to have that when things are chaotic is, it takes, it takes power. Yeah. And also probably something I learned from medical school, if I'm being honest, because that was like, I was making, we were making jokes and laughing, but that was probably the hard, I think the hardest time of my life, like for sure. I, I would, I would second that. Them. Yeah. Emotionally, yeah, just all of it was not, not sustainable, but you know. <laughs> Best time you never you want to have it. again. There's an, yeah. There's an end goal. Yeah. Um, but so it's it's nice to now be like one, I'll never be there again. Like I have right. my dream job now. Mm-hmm. Like don't sweat it. Like it's yeah. gonna be good. Mm. And so learning to reflect on that at least every day has been something for me. Still not perfect at it, yeah. you know, by any means. Sometimes I even know that I'm like all right, like, just let yourself have this moment for a second. Yeah, yeah, like, you can do this, you've earned it, yeah. yeah I think yeah, that will forever so. be a, a work in progress for most of us. The same, if people haven't heard about you and they want to learn more, you know, like, plug your stuff, pay the bills, let them know where they can discover more about how to optimize female hormones, fertility, preconception, all things in that world. Yeah, so I am Dr. B, Sammy, Samantha, mm-hmm. honestly, whatever you want to call me. Mm. Um, I am the practitioner at Walk the Natural Path Women's Health and Fertility Care. I see patients for hormone health as well as fertility. I see people alone or couples together. And I offer other things like ebooks if you're not necessarily ready to work with a practitioner. So I do have a preconception care book, which is really nice if you're just looking to start trying to conceive. You're not necessarily wanting to go down the like fertility like medical side or route Mm. of things, but you are wanting to know like, what are foods that I should eat? And what are good examples of healthy meals? And, you know, how do I eliminate environmental toxins and like not want to pull my hair out because everything's toxic around me. So it's a really nice like starting place. Um, And yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Walk the Natural Path. My website is www.walkthenaturalpath.com. Pretty much Mm. if you type Walk the Natural Path in. You'll probably see me. I <laughs> love that. That's so awesome. Mm. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Sam, thanks for your time. And until next time, everybody.
Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.